when you don't know what you're working towards, but you just, you know, you're ready to let go of something, but you have no idea what you're going to move towards instead. That is where I had an identity crisis. Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. Hello, and welcome to episode number 178 of the Optimize Yourself podcast. It means the world to me that with all of the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time and attention with me. I promise you are not going to regret it after listening to my interview today with Erica Wernick, who is a former graphic designer and founder of Hollywood Success Coach. Now, Erica has always been goal-oriented, systems-based, and a type A personality. And already at this point, I'm convinced we're probably separated at birth. But when Erica found herself during the pandemic wandering aimlessly without a clear goal and unable to quote unquote fix it with her usual strategies and frameworks, she quickly spiraled down into the dark holes of doubt, insecurity, and ultimately a deep depression. Now, identity can be a double-edged sword, especially when your livelihood is creative work. No doubt, like me, at one point or another, you've probably said, what I do isn't just a job, it is who I am. And yes, your identity can help guide and motivate you to achieve the success you've always dreamed of. But it can also be incredibly dangerous when you completely define yourself by what you do, especially during unemployment and especially during pandemics. It wasn't until Erica learned to let go of all of her long-held identities and listen to something deeper that she could lift herself out of the darkness, accept help, and become herself again. This conversation dares you and me to test your beliefs about who you are and what you do beyond your job. Erica challenges me on my own beliefs about what I believe the success path is for creative professionals, and she questions whether it can truly be distilled into simple action steps. And most importantly, Erica and I hope to normalize the discussion of mental health and depression and remind 
anybody who is struggling with their own issues to know that you are absolutely not alone and there are resources to support you. All right, without further ado, my conversation with Hollywood success coach, Erica Wernick. To access the show notes for this episode with all the bonus links and resources discussed today, as well as to subscribe, leave a review and more, simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash episode 178. I am here today with Erica Wernick, who is Hollywood's success coach. She is an author, a coach, a speaker, and a producer who's focused on helping people achieve their biggest dreams. And before I even allow yourself to say hello, I'm going to dig right into a really important question that I think is going to go right to the heart of our conversation in 30 seconds. Why is it in your introduction, you don't say, and graphic designer on films and TV shows, such as This Is Us, Glee, and more. Why is that not in your intro? Because that's not part of my identity anymore. And and actually, like, I don't necessarily think any of my career is part of my identity. I think my identity is, is more related to my purpose. And I want to help people. I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the graphic work that I have done. But what to me was more important is what I got out of that process of pursuing a dream in Hollywood. And that, and what I take from that is how I help others, you know, achieve their dreams because I work with actors, writers, directors, you know, I work with all different kinds of artists. Um, so yeah. So for me personally, I mean, I still design stuff all the time for myself and for friends. And like you said, this is us. I just finished. This is us. Um, but it's not my, my focus anymore in my life. Like it doesn't, feel like that's the thing that I want to lead with. I love that you say that your identity is your purpose. With all the things that you're doing in the world and in the industry and that I'm doing in the industry, even though the alliteration doesn't quite work, definitely sister from another mother. Brother from another mother sounds so much better. But sister from another mother. And I remember the first time, I don't remember how I had discovered you, whether it's through a search or a Facebook post or whatever. I'm like, oh my God, there's actually somebody else that's successfully doing what I want to do. I didn't know this was a thing, right? And that you don't, don't even know this, but me seeing the work that you were doing affirmed to me that maybe this is a path that I want to pursue as well. Because there's a whole bunch of people that coach or that speak, but there are very few that actually work in the industry doing a craft that are also successfully working with others. I can think of three people. I'm one of them that are actually working in the industry and coaching at the same time. You're a second one. So it's very, very difficult to do when you're doing it successfully and uh, very much understand this idea of associating with your, your identity with your purpose. So what we're going to talk about today is how dangerous it can be to assign your identity to what it is that you do for a living and the holes that that can take you down and more. We're going to put a pin in that for a second because I'm talking to you like you and I have talked many times before, of which we have, and I will send people to your (laughs) podcast because you and I have talked a couple of times before. But I want them to get a little bit of a sense of your story first, sense of where it is that you initially came from, how you came to the big, fancy, magical land of Hollywood and how you were able to first achieve your dreams and help others achieve their dreams afterwards. Let's just kind of start with the the brief version of the Erica origin story. (laughs) You know, it's, it's funny because I always struggle with this part. I'm like, why? Nobody wants to hear about me. Like that sounds like a limiting belief. We might get to those later, by the way. No, it 100% is. And it's, it's something that I'm working on because when I listen to other podcasts and you 
hear other guests, you know, explain, you know, how they got to where they are or a little bit about the background. It's interesting and I want to hear it. And um, so it 100% is a limiting belief that I'm working on that, you know, when I was writing my books, it was the same thing. Like a friend of mine who's really good writer was editing my book and she was like, I'd love to hear more about you here. What's the story for you? I'm like, you, you, you want to hear more about me? <laughs> what? Shouldn't I just get to the teaching points? Who gives a crap about me? All that to say, <laughs> thank you for asking. I grew up acting and singing. So I was very involved in the theater community through middle school, high school, college, et cetera. And it wasn't until I started designing the programs and the flyers for the shows that I was in that I got interested in graphic design. Um, but when I was graduating, you know, high school and thinking about what I wanted to do and then graduating college and thinking about, you know, what does my career look like? I still felt this pull to entertainment. And I think I was always more fascinated by Hollywood than by Broadway. I had done a summer high school program at UCLA in the middle of my high school years and just fell in love with Los Angeles. I mean, Whatever, if if you don't live here, maybe you'll get this. Whatever we see about Los Angeles, you know, on TV shows and movies and in media, the glamorization of Los Angeles, that was what I believed. <laughs> you know, that was that was me to a core. And I, I was always just enamored with LA and Hollywood. So when I learned that you can design graphics for television and film, I was like, yes, sign me up. I want to do that. And it was actually kind of a funny story how I discovered this because most people have no idea what a graphic designer for TV and film does. I feel like on my Facebook post, you were even maybe, I mean, you probably knew what we did, but maybe not to the extent. I knew what you did. I didn't realize how much of your work never got seen oh, by yeah. an audience, yes. right? Because they're, whether, and you can talk more about this than I can, but having seen thousands of hours of Raw Dailies, I see a lot of the pieces and it's probably my fault actually that some amazing artwork that's on the wall in the wide shot never gets to use because I'm like, I don't need a wide shot for this scene, right? It's all about the characters. Um, but, you know, whether it's a cereal box or a diploma on the wall or a fake magazine or whatever, like somebody's going to make that stuff, right? Yes. And and actually, I will say this is us in particular. We call it the talking heads show. You know, they don't really show establishing shots, wide shots of sets very often on This Is Us. There's a lot of close-ups close of the actors. A wonderful show. I'm not going to, you know, take anything away. But of course, the art department is like, man, I wish they would show some sets once in a while because we build such beautiful sets. Um, so I will say like on other TV shows that I've worked on, my my work has a better opportunity of being seen. And look, the artwork on the wall, the diploma in the wall, it's it's not as important as obviously the story. That's why I get excited when I get to design props because it's usually scripted, you know? So I got to design some stuff like for the next episode that's airing next week that was scripted. And if it's scripted, there's a good chance that it's going to be on camera. But I was, you know, back at home. I'm from Philly, 3,000 miles away, watching a very classic movie, 13 going on 30. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's um, right up there with Citizen Kane, right? Yeah, right up there. Kate. I did not like Citizen Kane. Um, <laughs> but, 13 but 13 going, going on, 30, on 30, that's a different I story. I love that movie. 
Um, anyway, so Jennifer Garner's character was eating candy called Razzles. And I was like, oh, a graphic designer had to design that candy box. And I didn't realize that Razzles is a real candy. <laughs> <laughs> but what I thought about, you know, what a graphic designer would do, it was correct. You know, if it was a fake candy, which happens more often in television um, because TV has more you know, rules about brands being seen. That's exactly what graphic designers do. So when I learned that, I moved to LA. I had no contacts. I knew zero people in the industry. I knew three people in LA and none of them well. So it was pretty terrifying to move out here. Um, And I booked my first TV show two weeks after moving because I spent many months cold emailing before I moved. Um, And I started making, you know, very few connections, but strong ones through cold emailing, cold messaging. Um, and that led to me booking my first TV show. And, you know, it was a dream come true to be, you know, working on it. I mean, look, the show that I worked on was canceled real fast, <laughs> but you know, it was Eric McCormick was the star and Tom Cavanaugh, and Monica Potter. And it was just a really cool validating experience of like, yes, this is what I want to do with my life. I've been really fortunate. I've worked on over 30 television shows at this point. Um, There have been plenty of time periods where I was not working and it was really challenging to find the next job. So I don't want to gloss over that. But as I was working on all these TV shows and living out my dream and, you know, working at Warner Brothers and Paramount and, um, you know, getting all these opportunities, I started to notice people around me struggling in their careers, whether it was an actor or a writer, you know, people in other facets of Hollywood. And I could pretty quickly point out why they were struggling. I'm like, oh, if you just changed X, Y, and Z, you know, I think that you would be much further along. And of course, X, Y, and Z was, was mostly about mindset, which then of course connects to action. The actions they were taking, you know, were the actions that somebody who didn't believe in themselves hundred percent would take. Um, and so one day I was working on a TV show at Warner brothers. I was working in a bungalow that was right outside of the famous gazebo. And famous if you watch Gilmore Girls. <laughs> or, I was going to say, like, obviously, it's it's like the the holy grail if you're a Gilmore yes, Gilmore Girls fan, for which Gilmore my wife Girls is a fanatic. Um, yeah. I believe, I mean, it was also in Heart of Dixie. I believe it was also, that whole back lot was also in Pretty Little Liars, which I never watched, but I know that it was there. It was just a really cool opportunity. I was working on a TV show, sitting in that bungalow. And a lot of times I'll get downtime in between graphics. So I had designed some graphics and I was waiting for my boss so that I could show her and get her approval and see what she thought. And there was already a line of people that were waiting to talk to her. So I'm like, all right, I have to wait until she's finished with these other meetings. In my downtime, I will watch YouTube <laughs> because that's what so many of us do during our downtime. And I came across a video that was a Super Soul Sunday video, Oprah was interviewing Jack Canfield. And Jack Canfield, if you don't know, he is the co-creator of Chicken Soup for the Soul. Um, He's also 
you know, now a coach. And his self-help book was the very first self-help book I ever read. And I read it when I moved to LA and I really credit a lot of my success to what I learned in that book. And so very exciting, you know, to see Jack being interviewed by Oprah. I was really engrossed in the video. And a couple minutes into the video, I just had this overwhelming moment take over. I could feel my eyes starting to tear up. I, you know, I was starting to cry and I just, I had this internal voice say to me, Erica, what are you doing? You're supposed to be helping people. And it was just a really profound moment in my life where I just felt like I, I've been designing graphics for so long and it's been so great, but I do want to help others achieve their dreams as well. Um, and so shortly after that, I started my coaching business. Um, and that is kind of the shorter version of how I, how I ended up where I am now. But, you know, I really am, I would say obsessed, you know, I, I really truly feel it's my purpose. Just how, how can I help as many people as possible achieve their biggest dreams, no matter what they are. Yeah, I share that same obsession, obviously. Um, <laughs> and I could get all the awards and accolades in the world. But what I love, the reason I wake up is I've got a Slack channel with my coaching community. It's called the Wins Channel. I love it. And people it. put their wins, whether they get a huge career-changing job opportunity, and I don't know what's in the water, but three people this week alone in my community have landed gigantic career-changing opportunities. And sometimes it's just, hey, I took a walk this afternoon. Win, right? So the the wins are all varied. But when people ask me, why do I do what I do? I even talked about this on a podcast where I was a guest recently. I said, it's my wins channel. I'm obsessed with helping other people succeed because when they succeed, I get to succeed. And that's so much more fun than working in the small dark room with the rattly air conditioner, <laughs> with no windows, with an amazing snack wall of garbage that makes <laughs> you want to take a nap all day long. And yeah, I get a credit on a TV show and a paycheck. But kind of what's the point, right? And I think that what, what I realized, and it, this was a really difficult realization for me and was a huge hit to my identity, which is going to help us kind of transition more to what you have gone through recently. And I had this realization six or seven years ago. I was working on Empire at the time. And then I was also thinking about this, I think might have even been when I was working on Cobra Kai. I actually had this conversation with the showrunners of Cobra Kai. And I said, here's the reality. Anybody can sit in my chair and do this job and you're still going to have a TV show. It's still going to be your show. And yes, am I better than some people at doing this? Sure. Am I able to intuit what you want and make better choices, whether it's music or montages? Yeah, I'm good at what I do. But if I disappear, you're going to find somebody else to sit in this chair and the work will get done, which means that me being here had little to no impact. However, the work that I'm doing with the website, with the podcast and the coaching program, if that goes away, things change. Mm -hmm. Something about the world changes. And I'm not saying that the entire world changes, but there's an impact that that personal investment that you have in other people changes other people's lives. And I said, I no longer want to steal from that just so I can continue earning more credits and getting more things on IMDb Pro and maybe getting awards because you can replace me there. Everything's going to be the same. I stopped doing this, things change. And it sounds like you had a very, very similar realization. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's the same thing for graphics, you know? If I left, they'll just replace me with another graphic designer. 
I mean, that's what I did on This Is Us. The graphic designer had to leave, so I finished the show. Um, and it's interesting, you know, with what you what you talk about, how, you know, if you left your business, you know, this the coaching piece, that it, it really would make a big impact. And what I've learned is it's not even just the impact with the people that we're coaching or working with. It's then all their people around them in their lives. Because when somebody goes after their dream in a big way, they don't even have to achieve it. Just the act of pursuing it in a really big way inspires people all around them. And I really do believe that it creates, you know, a lot of, a lot more joy and light into the world. And, you know, a lot of times with my acting clients, we talk about number one on the call sheet and how to set the tone, you know, so it's like so much of the work that we're doing will, you know, is reverberate the right word. I can't even think of words today. You know, it will really trickle out through so many other people. You know, it's not even just a one-to-one impact. It can impact thousands of people beyond us. Yeah. I completely agree with all that. And I think what you're looking for is the ripple effect. Ripple Reverberate effect, yes. and trickle down. <laughs> yes. Both acceptable, but I think okay. you're looking for the ripple effect. So <laughs> yeah, all yes. three very much acceptable yes. and uh, uh, understand all of those. Um, but here's the danger in all of this. For me, and I know that you may have gone through something similarly, when I decided that I wanted to be a coach and help people, boy, was that hard for my identity as an editor to accept. Because that's not just what I do. That's who I am. I'm an editor. I've been an editor since I was literally nine years old. And I'm going to win the Oscar for myself because that's what I wanted. My mom literally bought me a giant chocolate Easter bunny and said, this is your Oscar until you can replace it with the real one. I still have it somewhere in a box. (laughs) And I feel bad because I'm probably never going to replace it because I just don't care anymore. And that's not a goal of mine. But I went through a transitional process for years where I couldn't accept the fact that I was no longer an editor working towards an Oscar. So for you, when you were deciding that you no longer were a graphic designer and this is my calling, this is my purpose, did you too go through a sort of crisis making this transition? No. Oh, good for you. Well, then that's going to be a short conversation. Uh, It was just a very different experience for me. I think that the alignment that I felt with helping other people felt like my purpose all along, felt like my identity all along. You know, when I moved to LA, like I said, I read Jack Canfield's book. And a couple years after that, I started attending marketing boot camps for coaches and authors. When I was a graphic designer for television, I wasn't an author. I wasn't a coach. I don't know why I went. I just thought they sounded cool. I'm like, that sounds really interesting. I want to go. And I went to them for years. So I think that it was building for so many years um, that for me, it wasn't the identity crisis with that piece. Um, But it was terrifying, you know, when I, you know, I was working on Superstore when I decided to leave a show in the middle of the show and go full-time with my business. And that decision was terrifying and took time. And I had a lot of fear and doubts around that. And um, so that part was terrifying. But but no, I, I never... I, I think also because I grew up acting and singing and like I never had the Oscar award or like, or like I never like thought, oh, I want to win awards for design or anything like that. If anything, I thought I want to impress my design teachers from school. (laughs) I want them to think that I'm doing a good job, which is, 
you know, a whole other stuff that I've been working on. <laughs> but um, Which yeah. you write about, by the way, and it's a very engaging story. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is fascinating to me that I've graduated 14 years ago and I'm still like, do my professors think I'm doing a good job? I still want to impress <laughs> them. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of stuff to work through, but yeah, so it, it was, it was a different experience for me, but I will say the identity piece comes up in other ways. Um, and it's something like I'm, I'm very aware of. And I think that when the pandemic hit and especially in the beginning, when we were quarantined and we couldn't leave our homes, it became very aware if you attach your identity to your job. Right. Or like to me, like how much money you make, because those things were taken away from us. And suddenly it was like, oh, who am I without these things? Um, so I understand it very, very well. I just personally with with design, I didn't have that. Yeah, that's all great. I'm, I'm <laughs> glad you didn't have to go through any of that. Whatever. Um, me, I, I struggle with a million other things. So uh, don't you which worry. we're going to get you, by the way, um, I yes. keep uh, keep plugging the, the, you know, the, the big thing we're moving towards. But I think what's uh, really important to highlight here, and this is actually something you specialize in with your clients. You don't just coach and say, well, do this and here are action steps and frameworks. And by the way, you have all of those things. But I think an area where you really specialize is really being able to trust your own intuition. And it sounds to me like you were much more aware of your inner feelings than I might have been, where you were able to use your intuition and say, you know what, I don't need to design. I'm here to help people. It took me a lot longer to figure that out. But let's talk about how important intuition is in this process of deciding what does our path look like? Because you really focus on both the mindset side and the emotional side, not just here are the action steps to break into Hollywood. So how important is intuition and how is it that you were able to trust it? And how do you teach other people to be able to trust theirs? Yeah, you know, I was talking to one of the casting people, This Is Us, the other day about what I do. And he was like, oh my God, like everybody needs that because this business is 90% mindset. I mean, if you're pursuing a quote unquote big dream in Hollywood, it's not just about the actions you take. And you'll see that. And like, I think actors more than anyone understand this. I would say maybe directors too, a little bit, maybe writers, you know, because there's so much waiting. Um, there's so many other pieces to it that you have to be able to get a handle on your thoughts and your beliefs and what you tell yourself about that time. So to me, it's really important. And, and actually my new book that I just finished, You Are the Magic, is about intuition. And I, I think it's particularly important in this industry because I think in this industry, we are conditioned to believe that our voice is not important. We are conditioned to follow a set of rules. Um, there is a lot of ego in this industry, you know, in all facets, in every department, there's a lot of ego. And so what that does is that creates like my voice and what you should do is the most important. And so over time, our own intuition, our own voice gets quieted and we forget how to tap into that. Um, and I think that I was always tapping into mine, but I wasn't as aware of it. And it was always scary. You know, like there have been times where I quit, I quit a TV show before, not just Superstore to do my business full time, but like I quit a show that I was really unhappy on. 
And that is terrifying. You know, most people would say like, but you don't have another show lined up. What are you doing? But I was so unhappy and my intuition was like, you need to get out. I think it's so important to be able to listen to your own voice and to advocate for yourself and and to, you know, feel like your ideas and and your instincts are worthy of being heard, whether it's by you or by anyone else. And a lot of what I talk about in my new book with intuition is, you know, look, in Hollywood and in so many other places, there's no one path. You know, it's not like if you were going to go work in accounting and you were like, okay, I go to accounting school, you know, maybe I become a CPA and then I, and then I send a resume into a company and then I interview and then I get a job. You know, that is not Hollywood, (laughs) unfortunately. There's no clear cut one path. And so you- Can I actually interrupt you? Yes. Go ahead. Because I completely and totally disagree with that. Oh. And I'm going to tell you why. And I think you might like this. Okay. My sincerest apologies for the interruption. But if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the Topo Mat. The Topo Mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're going to invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the topo mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the topo mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. I think there is a path that everybody follows. Everybody has a different story. So I'm going to workshop this with you right now as a fellow coach, and I want to see if you agree or disagree with this. And then we'll, we'll go right back to what you said. But I think this is really important for people that are listening. I spent a decade breaking down everybody's stories. That's essentially what I do with the podcast. Tell me your success story. Everybody's is unique, the exact same steps, exact same path, but how they do it and what it looks like on the surface is different. So imagine instead of talking to filmmakers, you're talking to a room of doctors. 
Can you imagine going up to each doctor individually and saying, oh my God, it's amazing. You're a doctor. How did you become a doctor? Uh, well, I went to undergraduate, uh, majored in pre-med, and then I went to medical school, and then I got a fellowship or an internship, and then after I went through X number of years, I became a doctor. That's amazing. Hey, you, how did you become a doctor? Same story over and over and over. Also the same path, but it's pretty much the same story. A little bit of nuance and how they, how long it might have taken or whatever practices they tried or whatever. But essentially, nobody says, oh my God, that's amazing. How did you become a doctor, right? You ask somebody, oh my God, how did you become a successful actor or graphic designer or film editor, et cetera, et cetera. Exact same path, all different stories. Your story different than mine, although I have to say, yours is about the closest to my story I've ever heard because you got your first job less than two weeks after graduation, which never happens. I got mine a week after graduation, but it's the same general idea of spending months and months doing the outreach beforehand, planting the seeds, building the relationships so you can land, move into your job, right? But what I've been saying on my podcast and everything I write about is essentially it's the same path. Number one, this is something you talk about a lot. You have to be very clear on what is the ladder that you want to climb. And I'm sure you talk to this about this with your actors, writers, directors. It's not just I want to act. It's what do you want to do? If you want to work in commercials versus television versus features, different industries. So you choose the very specific ladder. Then you have to work at and become awesome at your craft. And then people need to know that you're awesome at your craft. You do, do those three things, you're going to be successful. I think it's that simple. Discuss. I really enjoy the mansplaining of interrupting me to tell me I'm wrong and let me immediately hear your version of what it is. I, I totally disagree. I, I think that's semantics. Okay, let's let's debate. <laughs> I, I mean, it's not a debate to me. I, I just totally disagree. And look, I've also worked with many different types of artists. You know, look, a graphic designer, sure. Um, they're probably going to be an art PA and then they're going to get into the union and then they're going to, you know, try to get on shows as a designer. Sure. But like a writer, there's like nine, seven or nine different ways in which you could become a successful writer, right? So you could be, you could start as a writer's PA or a writer's assistant in a writer's room. You could sit in your own apartment and never leave it and get a manager who shops your scripts around and then you sell a script. You could get, um, staffed, on, on a show as a writer. You could work as an assistant to a producer um, who gets their own, which I've, I've had a friend who did this, who a producer who had an overall deal with a studio. And so then that producer works on their own shows until the studio picks up one of them. And then when they pick up one of them, they get to write and write. So to me, like it's, you know, sure, you want to say, oh, it's study your craft and then have somebody notice your craft. Like that, to me, that's like minimizing it to something it, incredibly oversimplified. And I don't think Hollywood works that way. Like, I don't even think it's about that because I always tell my clients, like how many times have you watched a TV show and you were like, oh, that acting was bad or, oh, that writing was terrible. So like, cause I always say the law of attraction doesn't give a shit about your talent. So to me, it's not about that. To me, it's not about honing your, I mean, not that honing your craft isn't important, but I think there are so many doors, there are so many paths in, and I believe that your intuition will guide you to your specific one. So what you might call a story, you know, is what I'm calling, you know, a path. Um, you know, uh, there are actors who 
you know, we'll start on the indie route and do lots of non-union stuff and then finally get an agent and a manager and then work their way up to a co-star and get their first co-star. And then maybe they do five co-stars and then maybe they finally get a guest star and then maybe they finally get a recurring. And then maybe years down the line, they book a series regular. There could also be another path where somebody does, for example, my cousin, his first feature film was with Sundance Labs. He won Sundance and his movie was then nominated for Best Picture for an Oscar, his first feature. So, you know, and like same thing with actors, you know, there are actors, I always talk about Gilmore Girls, like Alexis Bledel had never acted before and she booked her first show was a series regular. So in that sense to me, like there are so many different paths in this industry, so many ways in and not even just so many ways in, but then so many ways in which you, you know, grow your career. You know, somebody like Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard, you know, they've started businesses, you know, which is really super cool. You know, that they have um, a line of clothes, uh, baby products, you know, at Walmart, you know, and they've done commercials and, and acting. And then Kristen obviously has done singing and, and then they've hosted a, a reality show, a game show or something, you know, like, so their path looks so different than let's say an actor who is on Grey's Anatomy and stays on it for 15 years. Right. So I do think that paths and creative fields just can look so different. And I think the way in which we find our path that is best for us is by listening to our intuition and letting it guide us. I really, truly believe that our intuition will show us every step that we need to take. Like you're on a scavenger hunt and you're, and you receive the next clue and you receive the next clue and you receive the next clue and your intuition, um, leads you to each one, you know, like even me breaking in, you know, to Hollywood, working my first show two weeks after moving to LA, the person that decided to help me, like the timing of it was part of my path because I developed an eye disease in my left eye a week before I was supposed to move to LA. And it was bad, really bad. And our very good family friend is an eye doctor. And so, you know, he was tell he was like, I had to take steroid pills in addition to drops. I still take drops to this day. And, you know, they were like, maybe you should hold your move off a month or so. Let's get this under control. And something in my intuition said, no, you have to go now. I will get an eye doctor in Los Angeles. And so my eye doctor looked up people. I got a specialist at UCLA. It was a horrible, terrible, you know, terrifying time moving to a new city where I knew nobody didn't have a place to live, staying on a couch of someone's house, someone's apartment and taking massive steroid pills that messes with your emotions and, you know, just everything has such a big impact on your life. But the person who answered my cold message, who was willing to help me, was offered a show that he could not take. And so he recommended me in his place. And if I did not move that week and I moved a month later, that position would have already been filled. And who knows when I would have booked something. So to me, that's what like, you know, our intuition can play such a big you know, part in our path if we're, you know, willing and open to listening to it. I knew if anybody 
was going to vigorously debate <laughs> and disagree with me was going to be you, which I'm is why I wanted to stop to have that conversation. Because <laughs> this is something that you feel very passionate about and talk about all the time, and I could not let that go. So I apologize yeah. if it came off as mansplaining, but I knew <laughs> that you were going to debate me and I was going to get you all riled up and get an amazing response and explanation. So well, I hope that it was, I hope that was clear. It not only did it help, I thought it was absolutely brilliant and I was riveted by all of it. <laughs> and I'm hoping that it didn't come off the way, but that was kind of the point is I really wanted to get you riled up and energetic because I know I've seen you on, you're so good at social media, by the way. And I see oh, this thanks. in you all the time. It's not just, here's the information and this is a business and I'm a coach. It is so clear that you care about this and you want to help others. And I see your stories almost every day. And like, you just have this fire inside. I just, I needed <laughs> yeah. to throw just a tiny bit of lighter fluid on it. So now I've got you all <laughs> well, riled you up. Did. I'm riled so up. good. All what right, good. So now, I'm su- <laughs> so now I'm super excited to keep talking about this. Okay. So if the paths are so crazily different, how do you help people use their intuition to figure out what path is the best fit for them? So one of the things, and I do this in my first book too. So we start with what you're talking about, the ladder, um, and we reverse engineer the ladder, right? So if you want to be, like I said, the series regular, or let's say you want to win an Oscar, that's your top goal. We work backwards and we come up with the general steps, you know, like, well, you know, in order to win an Oscar, I have to work on a film that's Oscar worthy. Okay. I got to work on a film. In order for that to happen, I've got to book that role. In order for that to happen, I need my agent to get me the audition or I need to be seen somewhere else. Right. So we go down the standard sort of steps. And then I tell my clients that this is like a base foundation of a path. You can skip levels. You can shoot out to the sides. It can look so different. How you get from one step to another is going to be led by your intuition. You will be led, you know, where where to go. So, you know, look, I, it's not like we don't talk about strategy. You know, all the time when I work with my clients, we'll talk about you know, strategy and I'll look at their emails and cold emails and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think what's more important, and I can see it because I have coached so many actors and they've all had very different paths and, you know, careers and and stories. What I feel like I'm here to do, one of, I think my superpowers is to help people believe in themselves in a way that they've maybe haven't believed in themselves before. And once you can get to that place, then it becomes much easier to notice the intuitive hits that come to you and get the confidence and courage to follow them. So, you know, I really, you know, like, for example, one of my clients who has become a great friend, she is from Oman. And she has lived all over the world. She's fluent in like three or four different languages. I mean, she is... (laughs) She has the most incredible, you know, backstory that is so interesting. And she was in New York and then she moved to LA. She booked her first TV show, an actress, this year, which is really exciting. And it was recurring. Her very first TV show was recurring, five episodes. Tomorrow or this weekend, I'm going to visit her to say goodbye because she's moving to France for several months. And I would, we would talk about this you know, the, what an acting coach or an acting teacher or someone in the industry might tell someone like her 
is you need to be here. What are you doing? You can't leave LA. You need, if you want to be acting, you need to be in LA. And there are some agents that have a rule. I know particular agent, because my client was with that agent who said, you can't leave, <laughs> like, especially during episodic or, you know, the heights of the season. And I told her, I'm like, this is your path. Like France lights you up and makes you so happy. It's part of like your soul's decision of where it wants to be. You need to go there and see where it leads you. Go get, you know, we talked about like, go get an agent in France, in in Europe. Um, You know, so her path is going to look different because she's, I'm allowing herself, you know, helping her feel the permission to pursue her career in a way that feels good to her that might completely go against the typical type of advice, you know, career advice for an actor. What's so important about what you just said that I want everybody to understand and internalize that I don't, I've, I don't know if I've ever talked to anybody that made this this clear and apparent is that the number one skill you need to have is not just a coach, but a good coach is your ability to help other people believe in themselves. It's not about the frameworks. It's not about the steps. It's not about the online courses. You can have all the information. If people don't believe that they can achieve their goals, all of it's useless. The other component of that that's so important, if you're not interested in being a coach, which I'm guessing 99% of our audience is not, if you are looking for one, you need to find a coach that helps you believe in yourself. Because if you don't, Somebody's just regurgitating all the same frameworks and steps of all the other influencers and personal developers and all that's great, right? Yes, like, actually, I don't, I don't, oh, go ahead. example of this that happened to me because I'm not coaching anymore. Um, I have a small membership thing, but, you know, as you said in my, um, my bio, I'm, I'm writing books and I'm producing because I want to help people in a bigger way. I want to reach more people. And I had a coach who I was working with a couple of years ago. And I was start, my intuition was starting to say, I don't want to coach anymore. You know, I wanted to do something connected with Hollywood, but helping people through Hollywood in a bigger way. And I, I didn't know yet that that was through television, that I wanted to produce television and write books. But I just had this intuitive hit of like, I don't want to be coaching anymore. And my coach, and she was a great coach in all in a lot of other ways. I don't want to tear her down, but she kept telling me, oh no, you probably just don't love your clients enough. If you find clients that you love even more, that's what you should be focusing on. So she continued to give me advice based on her bubble of the coaching industry and what that looks like instead of letting me explore what my intu- my intuition was telling me, you know, and essentially telling my intuition was wrong. And I've had coaches tell me that before, that my intuition is wrong. I had someone say that phrase to me, your intuition is wrong. Anyway, I just wanted to share that because, because yes, like I, I think it's so important for if you're going to be working with someone to find someone that is just going to, is going to hold the space for you to explore whatever it is that you need to explore and to, and to help you figure that out and to help you feel confident, you know, have the courage to do that. Yeah. I mean, I've never had a student at the end of 12 weeks say, you blew my mind with how you organized your Trello lists and cards. Can't thank you enough. And by the way, they enjoy my Trello strategies or I bought busy cow because of you, right? Yeah. But the message you get over and over, and I'm sure you get the same is can't thank you enough. I actually believe this is possible. Yes. Right. And if that's the impact you can have and that's it, 
that can be life-changing for somebody. And going back to this coach that you mentioned, there's this word that I hear that I hate so much that I think should frankly be called a disease. Pragmatism. Be pragmatic. <laughs> Choose the safer route. Choose the comfortable route, right? Like, oh, what's the matter with you? Oh, I came down with a horrible case of pragmatism, right? <laughs> Just keeping me from all of my dreams and my goals. Um, and choosing the discomfort over the comfort is usually what's going to lead to the growth and the success. Like there, there's a saying, I didn't come up with it. Um, it's been popularized recently. I've seen it all over the internet. But essentially, it's that if you make easy choices, your life is going to be hard. If you make hard choices, your life is going to become much easier. And you being pragmatic and choosing to continue coaching and having clients that you like better, that is the pragmatic and that is the safe choice. But your intuition does not often align with that. So what I'm really interested in now, which is really kind of what we've been teasing the whole time, <laughs> what happened when you decided that you didn't want to coach anymore and all of a sudden all of these goals and systems and frameworks weren't really getting you where you wanted to get? Talk me through that phase. Well, I love that we're like teasing my depression <laughs> as if it's like, you know, ooh, coming up next week, <laughs> Erica's <laughs> depression. Uh, <laughs> no, I, you know, it's, it's really interesting that you phrase it that way because that is one of the things that triggered my depression because I don't know if you're like this. I feel like you might be because we're similar. I have always been a goal-oriented person. I'm, you know a high achiever. I'm always taking action. I mean, I still have doubts and I'm scared sometimes, but I'm always working towards something specific. And when I started to realize I didn't want to coach anymore, what I wanted to do instead hadn't come to me yet. And this is actually where my new book came from, because when you don't know what you're working towards, but you just, you know, you're ready to let go of something, but you have no idea what you're going to move towards instead. That is where I had an identity crisis. When you talked about your identity, you know, that was extremely hard for me because my whole life, I'm the person that writes the goals down and works towards something super specific and is very ambitious and to not know what my next thing was, it, that just like, you know, I say in the book, it like ripped me to shreds because that was my identity. And it, it's if I'm not that goal person, like, how do I handle my life right now? How do I figure out my next thing? And so I would try to figure out my next thing strategically, <laughs> you know, like I would take courses and I would, you know, read books and I, I would, you know, listen to podcasts, talk to coaches. Everything I did was like, how can I strategically figure out what my next step is? And it wasn't until I was feeling really stuck. This was a couple of years ago. I was feeling really stuck and a friend of mine invited me to volunteer at Gabby Bernstein's book launch event. And it was in a theater and she was speaking and, you know, selling books. And I volunteered and helped set up the stage with my friend. And when I was standing on that stage, setting it up before everybody came in, I had this, I don't even know how to explain it. I just had this like wave of intuition and say, I want this. And I'm like, what, I, what do you mean I want this? I don't know what that is. Like, and then, you know, as I watched her, I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to write books and help people and talk to them like this. And, you know, 
And so then it became like, oh, my one of my next things is writing a book. So that answer didn't come to me through strategy though. You know, I talk about how like it wasn't something that I got from a pro and con list. <laughs> you know, it, it really felt like something that I received. And actually, I think that, you know, a lot of creative people might agree that how you receive your dream is similar. You know, saying you want to be an Oscar winning editor in Hollywood is not going to come from a pro con list, you know, or, or like, what's the, as you say, the pragmatic, you know, decision here, you know, our dreams come from a deeper place. So then, so then I, I wrote my first book and that was great, but still wasn't sure. I still didn't like the TV stuff. The TV show thing wasn't there yet. And then also the pandemic hit and that became really challenging because it changed our lives in so many ways if we didn't lose our life, if we, if we were fortunate enough to not lose our life. And I felt so lost. I, I felt, like I said, an identity crisis. Who am I? What am I doing with my life? I still want to help people achieve their dreams. I just don't know, like, how, like, I just want to do it through a different means, but I don't know what that looks like. And it was years, like, you know, the past couple of years. And so last year I wrote another book didn't even realize it, but I was depressed the entire time writing that book. Um, and this and was I, when you were writing Meant for This? Mm-mm. So I, no, this is the, you are the magic. Yes, my, you're the Because your timeline is different than me watching you on Instagram talk about it. So I want to make sure I'm, I'm understanding the right books. Okay, got it. Yeah, I mean, and I had, I've experienced depression many times in my life. The first time, my first year in LA, but usually like one or two times a year, um, I experienced depression. And so the pandemic, coupled with me feeling super lost in my life, it's like the two of those things collided and really triggered my depression. And I somehow wrote a book through it. And when I finished that book, I was like, I need to read this and make sure it's okay. (laughs) Because I think I was really depressed when I wrote this. It It just like, you know, after even I finished that book and I still didn't know what to do, it was just really, really dark. Um, and my depression was probably the worst I had ever experienced in my life. It was the first time that I truly understood when people say it's something chemical in your brain, because I felt like a different person and the things that I normally would do to help me feel good were not working. And it was sort of like this thing I couldn't control. It's kind of like this dark cloud was following me everywhere. And I did all the healthy things. Nor I would meditate. I would exercise. I would be outside in the sun. I would go down to the ocean. I, you know, I would try to do all these things to fill myself up and make myself feel better. And nothing worked. Like that dark cloud was still there. And I remember one time I took myself out to dinner in the Palisades at my favorite place because that's usually one thing I do to make myself feel good. And I, I went by myself and I was sitting at the restaurant and I wanted to cry the entire meal. I didn't because I was in public, but that is how I was feeling in the moment. And it just felt like, oh my gosh, like I can't control this. This is something that's taken over my brain. It might have been triggered by real life events, but something is changing in the chemistry of my brain. And then 
I don't know. You, I'm still talking about this. Do you want me to keep going? I haven't interrupted you yet. I know. I'm like, am I talking too much about this? No, um, this, this is absolutely wonderful. Keep going. I have okay. nothing to add. By the way, I am now going to interrupt you. It's okay to talk about yourself. <laughs> okay. And this is amazing. And this is really helpful for other people. Sometimes... Talking about your own struggles is what help other people believe in themselves and achieve theirs, which you already know. But when it comes to yourself, it's hard to listen to that and believe. Intellectually, you know that. I'm not telling you something you don't know. But emotionally, as you said at the beginning, this is something you struggle with. Think of this as your practice because what you're doing is phenomenal. Keep going. Okay, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. It is it, like I hear myself talking and I'm like, Erica, maybe you should shut up. Yeah. Nobody cares. Why does anybody want to hear my story? Yeah, this is just stupid, right? I'm still talking. I assure you it's the polar opposite <laughs> okay. of that. I started to get to a point where I was basically on the couch or my bed the whole time. I stopped working and I forgot when I started to feel better and I sat at my computer and worked for a day, I forgot that that's like what my normal life used to be like. Because when I was depressed, I did not work at all. So that impacted so many aspects of my life. I mean, I was really broke. <laughs> I mean, fortunately, I had some savings and I, I survived and my parents helped me out a little bit. But um, I was, you know, on the couch most of the times. I some I'm really close with my parents and sometimes I just want to answer their calls. I, I didn't even, I couldn't talk to anyone. I just felt so depressed that I didn't want to answer the phone. I didn't want to answer a text. I would sit on the couch and I think because of the Apple watch, I'm like super aware. Like I got no steps in, you know, like I was not moving my body, let alone exercising. So every now and then I would get enough energy to go outside and walk. And sometimes I would drive to other neighborhoods that I like on the, on the West side. I want to be near the ocean and I would walk there, but was in such a dark space that it just impacted all these other areas of my life. Like I said, like I wasn't even moving my body. And then on top of that, I would order takeout a lot. Like I can look back at my Grubhub history and I'm like, oh my gosh, like back when I was super depressed, I was ordering takeout like eight or 10 times a month. Whereas now I do it like three or four. So it had more than doubled. So I was eating really badly, not moving my body. And then I do remember for me, and it's easier to see this looking back now that I am healthy, but I feel like I'm going to cry. The scariest moment for me and why I really knew it was something chemical in my brain is that I literally did not have hope. And I'm a success coach. I spend my life being positive and helping other people, you know, be positive. And my mom would say, you know, like things will get better, things will look different. And I was like, no, they will not. And I wasn't just arguing with her. I, my brain, I could not see it. I, I literally could not fathom the concept that I could ever feel differently or that things in my life could ever be different. And to me, that's like the scariest thing of all to lose hope. It may be like when I, you know, got better, it may be like, oh my gosh, I'm really grateful for hope. Like I just have this newfound appreciation for believing that tomorrow could be different from today. And it's so scary to think 
that I didn't have hope. And so while I was going through this time, I mostly didn't tell anybody. Um, My parents knew. I talked to my parents every day. Like I said, there were some days where I wouldn't even talk to them. It was so lonely. And also I was creating that because I didn't want to tell anybody, you know, and, you know, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown and she talks a lot about vulnerability and it would be so vulnerable for me to tell somebody my darkest thoughts and what I'm experiencing. And I was so afraid that somebody wouldn't be able to hold that space for me. I just was not in a place where I'd be okay if they couldn't hold that space. And so that really stopped me from telling people. And eventually I think I told one or two friends and they were supportive in the moment, but I don't think they knew what to do with it. You know, like I say, like one of my friends was so supportive in the moment, came over the next day, took me out to lunch and everything. And then I never heard from her again for a month. Now she was working on a show and I know what it's like to be working on a TV show. (laughs) You have no life and it's hard to like think about anything else. So I don't really fault her. And plus I never expressed my needs. You know, I never said this is what I need, but I learned a lot, you know, from that experience that like, oh my gosh, mental health, something like depression is not too different from a physical illness. And, you know, it's like if, if I had cancer, God forbid, if I had cancer, would somebody check on me? Right? Probably, right? But it's so different. It's like if I have depression, like people might just think, oh, you're like, uh, you know, I think we throw that word around depressed without understanding like the clinical, you know, uh, definition behind it. You, you just need to get some sleep. Couple a couple good right. nights of sleep, relax, read a book, you know, maybe get a massage. Things are gonna be all better. Right. You use cancer, the one that I like to use, and I think cancer is great. I use diabetes. Mm, yeah, it's like going to somebody with diabetes, it's like insulin, really? I mean, can't you just get a couple of nights of sleep and you'll be fine? Like right. you really need the medication? <laughs> it sounds absurd. Yeah. But it's because we understand that you can get a blood test and a doctor can say you have type two or type one diabetes and therefore to make sure that your pancreas creates insulin and you don't go into diabetic shock, you need insulin artificially. Duh, duh, makes sense. I don't want to die. You start talking about things like mental health. It's very esoteric because it's very much a gray area. People don't really understand it unless they've been through it. Everything you're saying, we're just like, yep, 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 yep. But if they haven't, They don't really understand it because it's this invisible thing. Like you can't Mm -hmm. see, I have a gash on my arm. Therefore, I have an infection. Therefore, I need antibiotics, right? So what I find, at least for me personally, I'm not speaking for your experience, but my experience is that I find it, or I used to, I used to find it very hard to share it with anybody because they immediately invalidate it. Like I had somebody very close to me in my family, not going to mention who it is, but the first time I went through this, it was exactly what I just told you. Dude. You're working hard. Get some sleep and you'll be fine. It's all in your head. Yeah, it was all in my head, but it was also (laughs) neurochemical, right? right? Right. So much neurochemistry was completely imbalanced. Mm -hmm. And the wall that I came up against next, which I'm curious if you came up against it as well, is who am I as a person if I need medication? All right, this is something that I actually talked about totally unrelated, but today in two separate coaching sessions, and one person said, well, if I need medication, that means that I'm no good. They literally said those words. 
And I came across the exact same challenge of who am I as a person if I need this? Did you go through something similar? I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. I had an extra layer, which I'm curious if you have felt this. The extra layer was, what kind of coach am I? Bingo. Oh boy. Yes. Keep going. But boy, can I relate to that? And that, it, it, it makes me sad, but that was the hardest part because I knew people in the coaching industry. I don't know if they would have decided then that I wasn't a good coach or that I'm not doing the work. You know, I'm not doing enough of the internal work. And I should be able to mindset my way out of this. You you're know? just talking the talk, but you don't walk the walk, right? right? You're all full of crap and you're telling me to do all of these things. You don't do them yourself, clearly, because you've now failed, right? Yes. Those are the thoughts that go through my head. Exactly. That's how I felt. I felt I'm a failure of a coach and a person who does the internal work. You know, we talk about limiting beliefs. Like I do deep ass work on my thoughts, you know, and meditation. And, you know, I do all those things. I'm therapy. Like, you know, I do all the things. And I, you know, my mom really helped me because I felt like a huge failure. And I, there was, I felt very torn because I felt like I really want to get medication. And I think I'm at the point where it will help me when I really started to notice that the normal healthy things that I would do weren't working. And my mom was like amazing and supportive and super encouraging, but it was the coach piece. And I would go into deep dives on social media and on Instagram and look, and there were some famous coaches, Mel Robbins. I don't know if you know who Mel Robbins is. Oh, absolutely. Yes. You know, there were some famous coaches that were talking about depression, anxiety, and medication. And it wasn't until I saw 
people I admire who are way ahead of me in the success game in terms of coaching or helping people. It wasn't until I saw them, you know, saying it's okay, you know, and it not taking anything away from what they have to offer the world or how they offer it that I really, truly got the courage. It, it wasn't until I saw other people I admired talking about it. And that's why it's so important for me to talk about it because that was the thing that made me feel, you know, okay, that gave me the courage to talk to a psychiatrist and get medication. Um, and actually, you know, you mentioned the blood test with diabetes. I had a blood test and my health went to shit. Like my numbers were so bad. And I remember when I got my results back, I was like crying for like a day because I was so scared I was going to die or something. Like I just, I didn't know what the numbers meant. And, you know, like right now, it's been almost six months. I'm taking vitamin D prescription once a week. Wait, I think I forgot to take it this week. That reminds me. Um, Uh Once a week, I've been getting B12 shots every other week at my doctor. Um, I changed my diet because I was eating so poorly. I started counting calories December 1st because I used to be super into fitness and health and I would do the macros and I would be at the gym for two hours. I did a health program and I was like, you know what? I have to make this easy for myself. I'm not going to put any pressure on myself. This is not about macros. This is not about getting fit. This is about getting my numbers back. I'm just going to do something. So I won't, I won't even open my fitness pal because I thought it was going to be too triggering. I opened a spreadsheet. And I'm like, I'm just going to count calories. That's all I'm going to do right now. And I've been counting. I haven't missed a day since December 1st because I made something just super easy that didn't have pressure around it. And I've lost a lot of weight and I'm actually excited to get my blood test again, you know, in another month when it's been six full months and the doctor will see me again. Yeah, like it, it impacted so many areas of my health and the medicine, you know, when I finally, I'm on Wellbutrin. Um, I, I like to say it out loud just because, you know, people might wonder I'm on the generic of it. Um, and actually when my doctor gave me choice, she gave me two medicines to like, she's like, you can look into these. Here's some information on them. Let me know which one you feel t- like interested in, which I thought was really cool. Um, and I literally typed Wellbutrin into Twitter. <laughs> And it was like 247 tweets in the last hour. I was like, what? It just opened up my eyes so much. And I saw a tweet that made me cry. And it said, someone had said, like 15 years ago, I started on Wellbutrin. And when it started working, I walked outside one day and noticed that the sun was shining. And I just like lost it because I was like, oh my God, that's, I didn't even realize that I didn't even notice the sun was shining. You know, it's like the fog. It's like, I didn't even notice if it was a beautiful day and that just got me. And so I'm a a little bit of a tangent, but anyway, so that really helped. And then because the medicine helped me, it took a long time though. Well, it took the amount of time the doctor told me it would take. (laughs) But, you know, it took about six weeks until I started feeling better. And then about eight weeks until I started like feeling like myself. But as I started to feel better, then I could slowly start working back other things into my life to help my the physical part of my health, you know, get back, like I said, counting calories and exercising. 
I started counting calories December 1st. I didn't start exercising regularly until three months ago. So it took me like three months of just, just focusing on calories and I, I couldn't get there yet. It took me a long time. And then when I started to get back to work, I was like, oh my God, I forgot I used to sit in front of the computer all day and enjoy it and like feel excited and want to work on things. And that was mind blowing to me because I, it felt like it had been so long since I had done work that I forgot that that was my normal life. So, so some of those things were, you know, the result of me starting to feel better and, and being on medication. Rewinding back to the beginning of the conversation and all of your self-conscious limiting beliefs of, does anybody even want to hear my story? You sharing this is potentially going to save somebody's life because somebody's going to listen to the conversation we just had and say, oh my God, that's me right now. Just like you read the tweet or just like you did the, the research, somebody's going to listen to this and say, oh my God, this is me. And I don't have hope. And Erica may have just given me hope. Now you know why I tease this. Because I knew how important, how vital this conversation was going to be for people listening. So that was why I wanted to have this conversation. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the honesty, the candor, the vulnerability. Because that vulnerability is where the impact comes from, which is in alignment with your purpose, having a positive impact on people. It's not about the systems or the frameworks, right? I believe that beyond being a great coach and doing so by allowing people to believe in themselves, I think the other component that's vital is empathy. Sympathy is one thing. You can be a very sympathetic coach, but mm -hmm. I don't think you can be a truly amazing coach without empathy. And you now have gone through an experience to help you understand what other people are going through. That Thank to me you. is tremendously vital to the work that you have already done that you may not be doing anymore, but so tremendously vital to the work that you're going to do next. Thank you. I mean, I, I hope so. I will say that, well, I actually told my clients before I told the world, well, before I posted publicly on Facebook and I did a live in our Facebook group and I cried and, and they were incredible. They were so supportive. And, and I do think that it made our connection even stronger because, you know, I can relate to them if they, you know, feel this way. And um, when I posted publicly on Facebook, I actually got a lot of private messages from people saying, oh, I'm on this medication. Oh, I'm on this medication. Here's what I went through. Thank you for sharing. Um, and so like, even if just one person like hears this and feels less alone, then it's, it's so worth it to me. You know, I listened to a, a podcast episode. I remember I was taking a walk and it was Jamila Jamil, who I love. And she was on Conan O'Brien's podcast and they were talking about depression. And I was like, this is so great. They're talking about depression. I feel less alone until they both said something. And I don't remember the exact words, but they said something along the lines of like, oh, mine is not like the debilitating kind or like mine is not, you know, like it doesn't stop me from like living my life. You know, it was not that that dark. And I remember Conan being like, oh yeah, me too, me too. And I was like, oh, f well, Let's <laughs> just minimize all of it, shall we? Right. Like, and I know they, I'm, I, they're such good people and, and they were doing such a good thing by talking about it. I know they didn't mean it, but in that moment I felt because I was like, oh, they're talking about it and that's so great, but I feel it maybe deeper and darker than they are experiencing because everyone's experience is different. So that's why I want to tell people I've experienced it really, you know, really dark 
in deep ways that have impacted my life in a huge way. And I, I want to tell you that because I don't want someone listening to this say, oh, they're minimizing it and I don't feel as seen. Well, what I can tell you, and I don't know how much this is going to relate to anybody listening, but I know that you'll relate to, is how hard it is to share this, especially when your livelihood depends on you being the one that's got it, quote unquote, all figured out. Mm -hmm. So when I first started dealing with depression, it was something I had to deal with internally that I didn't even believe was real. And then I went through the process and talked to doctors and started medication and I started to accept it. It's a part of who I am and it's something that I'm just going to have to learn how to deal with. It took me years to start, start to externalize it. But frankly, my business didn't even begin until I wrote a post all about my burnout and depression. And it was mm. terrifying. This was mm -hmm. years ago. And I wrote about it and I shared it. And in our own little way, in our own little world, went viral, right? It didn't go viral like it was on CNN or anything. But in our world, our little kind of secular industry, everybody had read it. And it was the first time that I went public with it at all. And this was... 2014, maybe. So the world was a lot different eight years ago. Not as many people were talking about it. And I was terrified, but everybody was super, super supportive. Right. Then all of a sudden people started coming to me to learn more about it. And that's when I built the, the podcast and started building the blog. And it was kind of the inklings of the coaching program. But then the next step for me, and this is something I know you're going to relate to a lot. And uh, I'm assuming you know who uh, Ramit Sethi is, um, founder of I Will Teach You to Be Rich and has a you know New York Times bestselling book and online courses and all this stuff. And when I was just starting to learn from him, one of the things that not he specifically, but like his group and his community and his program, they're like, oh yeah, you're the burnout coach. Because I talked to so, so many people about how to, how to handle and overcome burnout. And I'd done this, what in my mind at the time was this huge launch. And I did this five-day challenge and had like 1,100 people that signed up for the challenge. It was like so overwhelming. Oh my God, I've made it, right? And then all of a sudden, burnout hit me like it's never hit me before in my life. And I've talked about this before on the podcast where 2017 was essentially what I call my lost year mm. from complete and total burnout. And one of the hardest things for me to ever write, but one of the most beneficial was I wrote a piece on his website of which a million people read that site a month that was titled, How I Burned Out as a Burnout Coach. Mm. Uh -huh. And then just two months ago, it happened again. Mm. But here's what I found changed. And I'm saying this some for the listeners, but I'm really just kind of saying this to you as well. It's getting easier to write about it faster and write about it when I'm in it. Because it's one thing to say, I'm in it now, nobody can know. I've got to figure it out first. Right. Then I'm going to write about it when I'm all better. That was kind of the way that I did it for a while. I'm super healthy. I'm helping everybody. Then I disappear. Nobody can know what I'm going through. Once I figure it out and I feel amazing again, then in retrospect, I can write about it. But I said, you know what? Screw it. I'm burned out and I'm sending a newsletter tomorrow. And I'm going to just tell everybody, guess what? I'm burned out right now. I just finished uh, working on Cobra Kai for 15 months straight. And I was just on American Ninja Warrior. And I've been dealing with all this other stuff and major health issues in my family. This isn't a post about I was burned out a year ago and here's how I fixed it. I'm in it now. And the amount of support I got from that newsletter and the engagement that I got is more than I've ever gotten before. Do you know how many refund requests I got? Zero. Yeah. How many refund requests did you get on your Facebook Live when you were sharing your story? None. None, right? But why are we so terrified of that? Why are we so terrified as creatives and entrepreneurs to be honest? Like, why is that so hard? Yeah, I, I, it's so fascinating talking about 
how you got better at sharing when you're in it. Because as coaches, we're taught not to do that. We're taught to wait until you're on the other side and you have a lesson that you can share, you know. Um, and I noticed that Rachel Platten, do you know Rachel Platten? She's a- I don't know. She's a pop singer. On Instagram, she started sharing when she was in it. Um, she was dealing with pregnancy stuff and, and you know, other things. And I remember her like saying something specifically about that. Like I'm sharing it while I'm in it instead of waiting until it's over. And she got so many comments and even me reading it. It just was like, oh my gosh, like, so you're not on this pedestal, you know? And one of the pieces that was hard for me as a coach coming out to talk about it I always knew that I was going to talk about it. And it was on the back of my head for so much of the time that I was depressed and when I started getting help. But it took a long time until I was really ready. But I was in this little circle of coaches, uh, people in LA, some people that I knew, not not people that I was all, all friends with, but people that were in my awareness who put on this air that they never have problems. And they're very successful. Like there's one in particular, multimillionaire. She's done so well. And to me, like there's no vulnerability in anything she has ever shared ever. And so I've always had a hard time connecting with her because of that. But I thought, but she's multimillionaire. She's doing something, you know what I mean? So like clearly she never has problems and her life is great. And then I thought, oh, well now there's something wrong with me because I'm not that. <laughs> I'm not, you know, great all the time. I have, you know, struggles in my life. You know, things aren't always easy. Um, and so I internalized that and, you know, already was struggling with that piece. And then on top of it, depression and medication and all of these things. So all of that also made it challenging for me to share. Well, speaking of sharing, I'm going to shamelessly plug you for a second so you don't have to. And you still can if you'd like to. Um, but you're writing your second book was a big part of this. Mm-hmm. And I know that the the big, uh, you've self-published uh, your last two books, correct? And this second one, you're working to now get it public, like get an agent and I don't book proposal know. and all that. You, yes. So you're still, you're still working I, it all out. Yes. Yes. I, I, the, I printed a hundred hard copies because I really wanted to see my book in hardcover and I wanted to design all that. And so I have some, I have a few left of that run that I was selling and shipping myself, but yeah, so I'm not a hundred percent sure because I'm developing another TV show and I, I just don't know. I'm open. I'm open. Right. To, yes. Well, my my point being what I wanted to send people to because it's already out there is not just your uh, previous book meant for this, but the audio reading. Oh, thank you I, so much. I have been doing this as a coach and podcaster for almost 10 years. I've been obsessed with personal development for far beyond that. I like you very much obsessed with personal development, high achievement. It's a part of my identity, which is both a superpower and very much a kryptonite, as yes. we've discussed. <laughs> I listened to your audiobook for five minutes and I felt flipping invincible. Oh my God. I'm like, Thank oh my you. God, I believe in myself right now. <laughs> like you you are definitely a performer, but I can tell that you really believe this and you really want to see that impact in others. And I've listened to a lot of amazing books that are so boring. 
oh my God, like I just, like I probably shouldn't listen to this while I drive because I'm going to fall asleep. <laughs> and there. five minutes of your voice and me as somebody who listens to like Arnold Schwarzenegger motivational <laughs> speeches and The Rock and like, you know, Denzel Washington. Like I've got a YouTube playlist of the stuff that I put in when I'm like punching a punching bag or doing ninja stuff. Yeah. You, like five minutes, the exact same effect. So wow. I say that because I, I, what I really admire is that you didn't just hand this off and have somebody do it. You put the whole thing together yourself. I remember reading your post about, <laughs> yep, another day in the audio booth recording with the, you know, the, the pillows in my closet or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you just, you saw it and you made it happen. And very, very few people do that. And it sounds like you're doing that with your latest book as well. That, I, that means so much to me. Like, wow, thank you so much because... I'm really proud of that audiobook. You know, I I got an editor who edited and he's also a music composer. So he composed music for mm-hmm. me. I had already purchased um some music and then he composed stuff to sound like it so it all fit together and has music and I just think it's really well done. I'm so proud of it and if if a chapter didn't sound good, I redid it, redid the whole thing and it was so much work, but my theater background, you know, like I was like, I think I got this. Like, I think I know, you know, how to do this. And I had posted about this a little bit, but I write like I talk. And so, you know, I was very nervous about my book because it's not, I don't write sophisticatedly. Um, I'm, I'm Thank not, you, by the way, for not making that choice. <laughs> I think I, you know, I just, I don't, I'm not, I don't write in a sophisticated manner. And it's like, I hear a rhythm of words in my head when I write and, and I write that. And because I, and, and I, I talk about this too, actually, I had an English teacher in high school tell me that my writing was better for something like advertising. And then I'm like, Hey, I paid my rent with that book. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, but I was like, since I write, like I talk, I feel like the audio book should be good, you know, because it sounds like I'm talking and I, and I can, you know, use all the inflection that I meant when I was writing it. So, um, so thank you. That means so much to me. Like that audio book was definitely a lot of love went into that project. Yeah. I know that it was a huge labor of love and I wanted you yes. to know that not only did it maybe pay off financially, but it, I think if it had that kind of impact on me in five minutes, I can't imagine the impact that it has on the people that are also listening to it that need to hear it even a lot more. Not that I don't need to hear it. Um, but again, I have a lot of those voices and I have becoming one of those voices myself. Um, so it was a matter of, yeah, I want to make sure and do the research and be prepared. But five minutes later, I forgot that it was about preparation. I'm like, I believe I can make this happen, right? <laughs> but here, here's the other thing. And I think this is important. When it comes to this idea of belief and intuition and manifesting your dreams, there's a huge component that I think a lot of people miss. It's this idea of the woo-woo factor or the secret, right? The secret comes out and all I need to do is create a vision board and manifest my dreams and write this down and all my dreams become reality. I believe that that's actually important. A lot of people are like, oh, that's a bunch of crap. I believe in all of that. However, none of it means anything without action. You get that. You are a big part of the woo-woo factor and believing in the universe and putting it out there, but you're not just sitting back and saying, do all these things and your dreams magically come true. you got to put in the work. Yes. And you put in the work. (laughs) Thank you. I I like to think that meant for this is a combination of those two things. You know, it's like a little bit of the woo stuff because I do think it's so important, but also a lot of the tangible, you know, pieces to it because you're right. I mean, that's... 
That's how, that's how I am. I, I'm an action taker, you know, but I let the woo stuff guide me. And You Are the Magic has nothing tangible in it. It's, it's a very different book. Well, it's not very different. It's it's more woo, but it's it's like how to take action with it. Yeah, because I do I do think that's so important. And actually, if we're gonna mention the secret, I, I listen to a lot of Abraham Hicks, and this you know one of the original people that was supposed to be what the secret was based on their work. And long story about why they ended up taking Abraham Hicks out of the out of the movie, but. They talk about like, oh, it's so simple, you know, like it's three steps, you know, dream it up, you know, believe it, ask for it and receive. And what I have found, and maybe you have found this too with that simplicity is, is like the second step there because you can't receive anything if you don't believe you can receive it. And so there's like all these limiting beliefs that hold us back from actually getting these things. And then those limiting beliefs not only hold us back from receiving, but from taking the actions that could help us receive it. Um, so for me, it's it, it's like, it is that simple if you're, you know, perfect in your mindset game and, and how you think about everything, which I just feel like nobody really is. <laughs> I was going to say there are exactly zero people, even the multimillionaires that have the Instagram photos with them in front of their jets. Yeah. Mo money, mo problems. They're not any happier than us. And most likely they're probably even a lot more miserable and have a lot more issues to deal with, but that we don't see that side. Right. Right. So uh, all of that to say that I wanted to make sure that anybody that's listening to this that has been inspired by your story can continue to be inspired by your work. Where can they find you, your books, your sites, and make sure that they can follow along in this new stage of your journey? Thank you. I appreciate it so much. I mean, like I said, I'm not coaching anymore. So I just putting all my energy into my books and the TV shows that I'm producing off of the books. Um, so meantforthisbook.com. I mean, you can find Meant for This in any online re retailer, but there's a trailer on that website and more, and you can see the table of contents and more information. Um, so if you head over to meantforthisbook.com and Instagram is sort of where I'm at these days at Hollywood Success Coach. Um, and, and that's kind of all of my energy is on those two things. So definitely come find me and say hi. <laughs> well, I implore everybody to do so and I'm going to make sure to, to link to all of those resources in the show notes. Um, but I also want to be very conscious of your time because it is valuable and cannot thank you enough for being on the microphone with me today and putting up with all of my mansplaining and my interruptions <laughs> and everything else. But I just, I wanted to spark that fire that I you knew that you had. You put up with all of my insecurities and my deepest, darkest truth. So I really appreciate you creating this platform and creating this space and allowing me to share this because hopefully we help somebody today. I hope. I have no doubt that whomever is listening right now, there's at least one person that it's not just a matter of helping or giving them insights. We might've really, and you specifically sharing your story could change the trajectory of their life for the better, which is why I do this. Cause I want to make sure that those stories get out there and you have that ability to impact others. So on that note, cannot thank you enough for being here. Thank you so, so much for having me. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. 
Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.